my biggest thing in training and life is find the things that bring you joy and do them unapologetically. Like if you don't want to do really hard things, don't, you don't have to do that. Like there's a lot of societal pressure for people to conform in a certain way. And like, yeah, look, you have to do certain things from a legal standpoint. Like you can't, you know, go around just taking whatever you want from and not paying for it. But within your own freedom of expression and, and fitness is one of those things. Do what, do what makes you happy. It's going to create more buy-in. And there's nothing worse than feeling like you're dragging yourself into every single session. Like, oh, here we go again. So, yeah, I think that's my big thing is do the things that you want to do and do them with full intention. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. For all of my new listeners out there, thank you for tuning in for this episode. We've got an exciting one planned. And for all of my returning listeners, thank you again for all of the support. For everyone listening out there, if you haven't heard some of the previous library of episodes, go check that out. You can hear it on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. There have been a lot of great guest stories, guest interviews where they share their journey. There's always a lot of great gems, great stories, things that we can learn from others to help us along our journey. And I've also covered a lot of solo topics, episodes covering rehab, injury prevention, movement concepts, of course, strength and conditioning strategies and sports nutrition strategies as well. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, be sure to share them with family, friends, coaches, colleagues, anybody that could benefit from and learn from these episodes as well. And lastly, there's a lot of free content up on my social media channels. Everything's at HNL Movement. And also I've been putting up all of the YouTube video highlight clips, short snippets of the podcast episodes. So you can check that out on my YouTube channel. Just search for HNL Movement or the HNL Movement podcast. And you can watch some of the video highlight clips that matches the audio that you've been listening to. And also be on the lookout on my YouTube channel. I will be putting up a lot more educational content, helpful tips, tutorials, things that will help you to optimize human performance. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out, message me or comment on the content as well. I would love to hear and see all of the things that are providing value for you. Now for the exciting part, let's jump into today's guest interview. And we have Ryan Sullivan, who shares a lot of things along his journey. Everything from growing up, playing sports, playing baseball, training for baseball, and eventually finding this passion that goes beyond him training as an individual, but also being there to help and support other clients and athletes that he currently trains. Listen in on this episode, there's a lot of great gems, things that I think we all can relate to as we go through our sports careers, training careers, 
how things we've done previously help to set us up for the next chapter or training phase in life. So listen to all of that. And currently, he still coaches a lot of CrossFit. He's previously been a competitive CrossFit athlete, but we go over all of his injuries and things that he's been through that has kind of shifted his focus as an athlete. And now he trains for marathons and is an endurance athlete as well. Be sure to listen towards the end where we talk a lot about CrossFit, what's his approach, the concepts, the philosophies, the considerations for athletes who's thinking about incorporating some CrossFit training into their overall yearly training regimen and even some of the culture behind CrossFit as well. So listen into all of that. I don't wanna spoil anything else. So let's jump straight into this episode and enjoy this one. Welcome back everyone to the HNO Movement Podcast. This is going to be a very exciting ep- episode for me. Interesting topics we're gonna talk about because we're just going to nerd out on strength and conditioning and training concepts. But I would like to welcome Ryan Sullivan to the podcast who has a wealth of experience in training himself, but also training a lot of other people to get healthy, fit, and improve their performance. So thanks so much for joining me, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is going to be very, very interesting. And we'll get into all of the great things that you're doing, training for yourself and helping a lot of other people get healthier and fit. But before we do all of that, let's dive into your story. So your backstory, growing up, I know you're an athlete playing a lot of sports and let's start there. What types of sports did you grow up playing and where are you originally from and how did that all come together in your childhood? Yeah, so I am originally from the New Orleans metro area a little bit south of the city. So we were pretty rural, like a town of 10,000 people. So a lot of pickup stuff, but I only ever played soccer and baseball in organized leagues. And talk a little bit about that, like being, you know, in a more rural town, right? How was, was everyone pretty active when you were growing up, like playing outside and all of those things? Yeah. So we lived, basically, we had a really unique situation. Like on our street was basically our family was on one half of the street. It was a different family on the other side of the street. And then like a few other people mixed in. So there were like six or seven boys that were within a three-year age window. So we played everything, but beyond that, like I can't really say how active everyone else was in the community because it was just like a little isolated part of the town. And we were, I want to say half a mile from like the next neighborhood. So like you wouldn't have gone and you would have had to walk along the highway to get to the next neighborhood. So we wouldn't have actually interacted with them that much aside from what you were doing at the playground. I mean, with six or seven other kids that you grew up playing with, I mean, that's enough to kind of play a lot of sports (laughs) together, you know, like you can make three on three or whatever it is. So, you know, talk a little bit about how did your interest for sports or just you know, getting active, how did that grow during your childhood? Originally, um, I guess I was named after a baseball player um, for the Chicago Cubs. So like baseball was non-negotiable. I was getting enrolled in that at the earliest possible age. So I remember that was like four or five years old. And then seven, I got into a soccer league. But I think of it was just the socialization aspect and having something to do with other people rather than Mm -hmm. like sitting alone at home playing video games which never really appealed to me that much or like watching tv or anything like that so it was the way to get out and do something with people yes 
And you talked about, so you started baseball at a young age. I know you played soccer as well. Was there any other sports that you, I know not organized, but was there any other sports that grabbed your attention or caught your interest? Um, we played a lot of pickup basketball. I am five foot eight now, and I was very short as a kid. And I don't think I even like I grew an inch, I think my freshman year of college. So basketball wasn't really in the cards for me. But aside from that, we didn't really play anything else. It was, I mean, a little bit of pickup football, but again, being undersized and like standing next to some of the guys that I was going to have to play against in baseball leagues. I was like, yeah, I'll pass. Yes. And that's something that I can relate to, too. I, I mean, I was always undersized, one of the smaller kids. So, you know, I'm around maybe five, seven or so. So, you know, it's something that in Hawaii, actually, that's probably like average height. So we can be somewhat competitive. But as you know, like, as you get older and older in high school and college, like some sports, that's a disadvantage, right, that you have to make up for. So talking about like, you played all of these sports, and you're active. What was the goals, I guess, to be social, to have, you know, um, something to do, right. But as you got into high school, and things like that, were you set on trying to play at the next level or trying to see how long you could play baseball for? How did everything kind of play out through your high school years? Yeah, I would actually like, I guess, walk back to middle school to like set the background for that story is I was probably better at soccer than I was at baseball. And I was playing travel ball and competitive league for each of those. And then I kind of got into high school and freshman year for high school, like soccer, I'm on the JV team, which is to be expected. But I thought that I had played well enough in tryouts to make the varsity team. And then in baseball, we were really, really good that year. I think we had a guy who ended up being a first round draft pick for the Yankees. We had a couple of other guys who ended up getting drafted later in their you know, careers, they were a few years behind him. And then like two or three other guys who were at least getting offers. So we, there was no shot of me playing that year. But then when that senior class graduated, I knew there was a window for me to come in and start as a sophomore, which came to fruition in the off season. Basically we play high school ball um, instead of travel summer, like a lot of other States. So I knew that that, pretty much locked up and I would be a starter and soccer in Louisiana runs into baseball season. So if you play soccer, you are going to miss some of baseball. And in the fall of my sophomore year, one of the coaches on the soccer team said to me, we're really looking forward to having you lead the JV team again. And I was in my mind, I'm like, well, you already know that I'm on the JV team again, but you just graduated six players. And like the grade below me had three guys who were D1 soccer players. They were really good. But like that still leaves three spots available and you've already pushed me off to the side. So I'm just not going to play. And the thought in my mind was like, I might come back as a junior or senior and think about it, but I was not going to deal with that because we were a small school. So the varsity team was very, very competitive um, and took things very serious. And the JV team was 
the exact opposite. And I just didn't enjoy surrounding myself with, didn't care if we lost eight to nothing. <laughs> so all kind of became the focus there. Got it. That's, I mean, unfortunate, but you know, it's interesting how, cause that environment too, especially if you have that desire to compete, right. That can be very discouraging or it's almost like you don't want to put your efforts and your time into that. Right. What positions did you play in soccer and baseball? Soccer was either forward or defense. Um, so I played at a smaller playground that was still a travel team and that was playing more forward. And then when I got into the more competitive, bigger programs, like the need for defensive players along with like my lack of on-ball skill development from being at the smaller playground just kind of lent itself more towards being mm -hmm. in defense. And then in baseball, growing up, I played middle infield out and outfield and pitcher. I got to high school and the clear path to play was in the outfield because our whole infield was coming back minus first base, which again, at five foot four, okay. when you're a sophomore, you're first base. So I played outfield and pitcher. And then the thought process was always that from our head coach that I would move back in. And then it just turned out that we had two young guys who were really good up the middle and they just kind of took over there because when you're at a small school, you just fill the needs and what makes the most sense for the team to be competitive, not necessarily for the player. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I ended up kind of in the outfield and pitching got it and did you ever go back to play soccer your junior or senior year or was that it no that was it um i think a lot of that was the culture of the baseball program at my high school very much fit in with my mentality towards sports and the soccer team was just a little bit different from a cultural perspective. So I recognize like some of the, I don't know, it was a free for all, the lack of respect for the coach, the lack of respect for each other, like that kind of stuff that just didn't sit well with me. And they didn't seem to work very hard away from the season. So you know, we did in baseball and that's kind of why I'm more gravitated to that. Yes. And we are going to come back to that culture because there's so many things to talk about that and how it influences, you know, what you want to do, what you want to pursue, but also how you train. Right. So it sounds like, sure. you know, that competitive nature in you, that's something that really brings out the best in you and helps you to gravitate towards these sports, but also practice and do well in these sports. So let's talk a little bit about did you get introduced to any formal type of strength and conditioning? It sounds like you guys trained a lot off season. So what was that first kind of intro to let's practice or train for baseball outside of the diamond? Yeah. So it was super cool. Um, my high school coach for my freshman through junior year was a first round draft pick for the Oakland A's. I don't know what year it was a while back, um, <laughs> but his best friend, was the manager of the Houston Astros. So we actually got to use the Astro Strength and Conditioning program my freshman and sophomore year. 
Um, and this is when they had like Roger Clemens and Andy Pettit and they were, you know, really, really good. And then the next year, his son who played at the university of Tennessee at Knoxville ended up coming back to be an assistant coach. So we used Tennessee strength and conditioning program. And then my senior year, they brought in a guy who was in hindsight, like knowing what I know now, very knowledgeable and very advanced, but he wanted us to do the fundamentals and, you know, you're 17 years old and you've just been the university of Tennessee's strength and conditioning program. And this guy wants you to practice landing off of a bench. Like, no, we're not doing that. So we ended up doing some CrossFit stuff on, I think it was like Tuesdays and Thursdays we had off because he believed in recovery and repair, which again, I'm on board with now, but back then we were like, no, we're going to do CrossFit and just like bash our heads into the wall every day of the week. So that's, uh, that's kind of the exposure. So it was a very comprehensive exposure for a high school athlete, Mm -hmm. but nothing it's weird because like you just never get into a full rhythm as a high school athlete because you end up, you know, having exams or whatever, you miss a lot of sessions and there's a lot of things that you don't do that I would say are requisites for performing down the road. Like we did no single leg stuff, no single arm stuff. Like it was just all get big, get strong, get explosive and no foundational work. That's how most high school athletes, I think like, especially previous generations, you know, that's kind of, Unfortunate because we just didn't know at the time, but that's how most of us got started into the field. I can even my journey included, you know, when I started with strength and conditioning, all it was was just try to get stronger, get bigger, move as much weight as you can. It wasn't necessarily translating all to your sport or your performance, right? But it was helping you develop some strength capacity. But before we get into that, so you mentioned that okay, you guys were exposed to all of these different training methods and even CrossFit was thrown in there. So how did you, were you guys going to a CrossFit gym or facility or how did, who was leading the CrossFit workouts on your recovery days? Uh, It was actually my uh, assistant baseball coach who I uh, remain in touch with today. He's actually doing some awesome things with some brand X method, which is the CrossFit kids, I guess, faction of CrossFit. So he would help us do that. We just did it in the facility. And to be fair to him, it was me. And like, I knew I was playing at that point, my senior year, I knew I was going to play college baseball somewhere. And then my other friend who was going to the Naval Academy. So like that type of training was very, Mm -hmm. like starting to become popular amongst the military population. So it's not like he had the whole team doing that. It was just us two. Um, And again, like not the smartest thing we could have done, but yeah. So he, he led it. And like at the time we actually had a CrossFit level one uh, certified coach who he was a volleyball coach. So he wasn't obviously monitoring our fall workouts, but he then took over for like our off season stuff he would make sure that we were actually doing things right, taught us the fundamentals of CrossFit and was really good and still is an amazing coach still at the gym down in New Orleans that 
whenever I'm home, I still go visit them. Um, so we were fortunate there. Yes. It sounds like you guys were around a lot of good instruction, good training, and we are going to come back to the CrossFit. So let's talk a little bit before we get to that going on after high school, right? You Mm -hmm. wanted to play baseball somewhere. So talk a little bit about what was that transition like? Like, what was it like to actually take all of the things from your high school and then the recruiting process briefly and how did your college years kind of play out with sports or competitive sports? Yeah. So the recruiting process for me as an undersized athlete who does nothing overly impressive from an athletic standpoint, especially at that time was very self-guided. So I was putting myself on the radar for going to showcase camps and stuff like that. So I looked at a couple of small division one schools and then primarily focused on division three schools. One of the things that I was fortunate enough to have is a set of parents who were very honest with me and willing to have some of the conversations that quite frankly, a lot of parents won't have with their kids. And we discussed the fact that baseball was done after college. Like, Maybe you might be able to play independent league ball and just like mess around there just for fun. But the reality is, is I was never going to play minor league baseball. I was never going to play major league baseball. Like that wasn't going to be a legitimate career path option. So I needed to pick a school for academics. Mm -hmm. Um, The focus was find the academic schools first and then look at ways to get on their radar from a baseball perspective. So that's kind of what I did. The I ended up choosing a small Division three school in Tennessee called Suwannee. So going from a program that was very much like regimented, a lot of oversight, we get to college and we have fall practice and stuff like that. But aside from our organized practices, the weight room policy was come in on your own do whatever you want, sign this sheet to let me know that you're actually doing training and like come chat with the coach maybe once a month or something like that. Uh, So it was very disorganized. So that was a little challenging for me initially because we, I don't know anybody at the school. Like I know, I think there were five people from my high school that were there between my class and then the couple of classes above me. So I know no one not having organized team activities until fall practice starts is a little difficult because like I'm going into the weight room, but I'm working out at the same time as other baseball players. And neither of us know that the other one is a baseball player. Um, So that was a little difficult. Then like the, general approach to to the sport was very different like the philosophies on hitting uh managing pitcher workload stuff like that was a little bit different and I was not very malleable with some of my thoughts on that so that was difficult because I get there and I've got a high leg kick for hitting and you know I'm coming off of a few years of success in high school and we're playing, it's not like we're playing slouch teams. Like we were a small school, but my senior year over 20% of my at bats came against division one pitchers, like guys who would play D one 
year the fall or two years later. So like, I know that I'm capable of matching up against division three pitchers and within the first three weeks of practice, like my swing is getting altered completely. Like I don't even get a chance to show that I'm capable of doing uh, or performing at the, at this level before he's like, this is not going to work. So that was a little bit challenging, but you know, it's one of those things. I think it was a good experience to learn how to adapt and figure out how to coexist with people who are in positions of power with different philosophies than I had. Yes. I think there's so many great things out of there. I mean, yeah, even, you know, when you think about growing up through college, there's a lot of experiences that are challenging or, you know, doesn't quite go your way and you can learn from it. But I also think like in the position that you are now, even for me too, when you're coaching people, you kind of remember and take those experiences with you because you realize that it has to be more of a two-way street. Like you have to understand where the person's at in order for you to just, you can't just, you know, blindly give everyone the same, the same coaching cues, right? (laughs) Which we'll talk about when we talk about more CrossFit and training stuff, but talk a little bit about, so after that through college, what was your interest? Because you seem to really like the training aspect. Was that, did that coincide with your interest for school and academics, your major? And how did that kind of play out? Yeah. So my college did not offer any sort of exercise physiology. I would have had to create my own major, which was a possibility, but it's something that I chose to not pursue. I tend to be a little bit more numbers and analytical uh, oriented. So I ended up majoring in economics. The thought process was that I would get done with college and then potentially go into teaching and coaching. So I had a minor in education as well. And now I don't use, well, I guess I I do use (laughs) both of those degrees, but not in the way that they were intended to be used. So uh, yeah, it didn't quite line up perfectly, but I think Mm -hmm. it was a good experience to get training outside of just your field. Yes. No, I think that's super versatile too. And I mean, to some, it's interesting too, because you wanted to go into teaching possibly. And yeah, you might not be teaching in a classroom kind of environment, but I know you're teaching and training a lot of clients. So a lot of those things, it does translate over or transfer over to whatever profession you're doing, right? To help people and teach them along the way. So as you progress through college, did you play baseball all of your years there? Or how did that kind of shift or play out? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I played all four years. The first few years were a struggle to find consistent playing time. You know, again, some like, I felt like I was being asked to do certain things and then being punished for not having statistics to show that I was good enough to be on the field. And then I don't know how valuable it would be, but like I did have a mindset shift kind Mm of my senior year. So like, you know, I think one of the things is I was very compliant as an athlete, like always. And that continues to this day. But one of the things is when we got to competition, I would be asked to do something like bunt the runner over or runner at third base. And I'm hitting a ball to the second base. So I get the RBI and it goes as an O for one in this, in the scorebook. Right. And I remember having a bunch of games where I would go, 
you know, one for four with two ground outs to the second baseman because that's what I was asked to do. Mm-hmm. And then oh for three, but two sacrifice bunts because that's what, again, what I'm asked to do. And then all of a sudden I don't see the field for two weeks. And it's like, wait, five of the eight at bats that I had were very productive according to what you asked me to do. But my stats don't say that they were productive. So why am I getting benched? And that kind of continued through sophomore and junior year. And then my senior year, we played, we're playing the, I mean, the very best team in our conference, right? Like they're consistently top 10 in the country. They still are to this day. And I struck out on three straight pitches that I thought were balls and all were called strikes. And I got yanked immediately. And I was like, I'm tired of playing this passive game of like doing things exactly how he wanted. So I'm just going to go play, have fun, enjoy the process. And for whatever reason, that switch kind of flipped and just the freeing like nature of not caring anymore, like still trying, but like not attached to the results anymore and just doing things the way that I wanted to do them made a huge difference, both in my enjoyment for the game and then production on the field. So that was finally the year that I was able to stay on the field and start through most of the year Mm. um, until I got injured, which was a very common theme for me. But yeah, most of the games I was able to play. Got it. Let's talk, since you mentioned it, let's talk about some of the injuries or significant injuries throughout your career. And doesn't have to be in any specific order, maybe the ones that are most significant. All right. So the first really bad injury was in middle school uh, soccer. I got, we were playing on a wet, nasty, muddy field, and I had a slide tackle that went into my right ankle. Mm-hmm. We didn't go to the doctor, which in hindsight was probably a mistake. But I was on crutches for two weeks and then away from soccer for six to eight weeks. So, you know, maybe that was like some sort of hairline fracture or something, but that was tough. Then the following year, I had a hip flexor strain, pull, whatever you want to call it. Sat out three weeks, tried to come back too early, sat out another six weeks, um... And that has actually been like a somewhat recurring thing through my CrossFit competition career, uh, my baseball career, and then my soccer career. So like it just stuck around in the field sports Uh, for whatever reason in running, it doesn't hinder me at all. And I haven't felt it in years. So I don't know why that would be the case, but I feel fortunate that that is the case. Then let's see, moving into the upper body, I had a uh, lower back strain one year in baseball. I went to throw on a wet field and my left foot slid from under me. That caused a two-month hiatus from playing at the beginning of my senior year of high school and caused like some temporary scoliosis. So we had to be like especially careful once the spine kind of got involved. A couple of shoulder tweaks, nothing like significant. And then my freshman year of college, I had an elbow injury. Basically, I got asked to warm up for three straight games over like four straight innings of each game. Uh And 
went into the the last day of the game and like came out and basically the next morning I woke up and just couldn't throw. So that actually shut down my season. So that was from March until the end of April. Um, and I don't started legitimately throwing until May. Got it. Got it. So yeah, that's kind of yes. uh, most of the injuries. I'm sure there's one or two other ones that I'm, I'm leaving out there, but I'm, I always have managed to find a way um, even in adult, so I play adult league baseball and uh, last summer I was sliding into home plate and I don't know why, but the catcher decided to slide into home plate to the block oh. the plate. So I got cleated in the shin um, and like took a nice gash. I had to get that patched up and that was like two or three weeks of just like that throbbing pain that you get when you do something like that. I don't know why, but I, I do have a tendency to find them. Yeah. So, you know, we all deal with some injuries and I'm glad that for the most part, when you're running, we'll get to that training in a while. You don't have any hip issues or back issues. So that's, you know, really good that you can perform and do all of the things that you want to do. Now talking about, so after college, right, you played baseball and all of that, you graduated and training is just in your blood at this point. So talk a little bit about what it was like, what were your interests as far as staying fit and active? When did you find CrossFit, which is what we're going to talk about? I want to, since you do a lot of CrossFit coaching, I want to dive into some of the training concepts and fundamentals, but when did all of that kind of timeline wise come into play for you? Right. So the, that initial introduction that we, we had talked about with the senior year was just like that twice a week through the fall, and then we would use it every summer through college. And then in the fall, I was more doing like just traditional strength work, not really doing CrossFit until maybe my senior year when I started doing like Metcons at our university's gym. And the gym I was at was pretty crazy. We had, so the way that CrossFit used to be is like you divide it into regions, mm -hmm. um, so we had Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. And of the top 200 men in those three states and in the region, we had like seven of those top 200. So we had a bunch of high-level athletes. So I'm training with these guys in the off-season, very much cherry-picking workouts and like keeping up with them and even beating them in workouts again, cherry picking. I can't emphasize this enough, like only doing the thing I'm good at. And I'm like, Oh man, if I'm doing this and I'm not even training CrossFit full time, imagine how good I'm going to be once that becomes a priority after baseball. So it was a natural transition directly in to CrossFit and competitive CrossFit. And then after about three or four months, I was forced to face the reality that when I wasn't cherry picking workouts anymore. I was getting destroyed in a lot of the workouts. So I ended up hiring the guy who is my boss, Max El Haj, um, as my CrossFit coach and worked with him for a few years, trying to progress into the sport with a fair amount of success. But, um, there were some things that both he and I recognized, like now knowing what we know, this was Oh, nine years ago, eight years ago now. But knowing what we know now, there were a lot of things that we could have done differently that probably would have kept me a little bit safer and 
improved my ability to perform in the sport. But yeah, that's kind of, it was just straight in, like no, no off season, no break, just get after it. Yes. And I'm glad that you had that, you know, even though it wasn't like full time, like you said, just having those exposure throughout high school and every off season, I think that did help the transition. That was kind of like you're easing into it. And then when you did take up CrossFit full-time after college, at least you had some type of base that you could build further off of. But let's dive into, so right now I want to talk about CrossFit because you work at Training Think Tank, right? Well, why don't you give a little backstory for me too, because I don't exactly know, you know, what your day-to-day is like, but what is the population like, the clientele like, because you work with a lot of, I, I would assume everyone from, you know, extreme beginners to seasoned CrossFitters, right? So explain a little bit about Training Think Tank and what it is that you do there. Yeah, so I guess we can just start, like Max created this company um, and named it Training Think Tank with the idea that it would, would be a true think tank. And so we have people who have various backgrounds. Most of us or all of us share the CrossFit background, our niche as a company is CrossFit. But we all have backgrounds where we had one coach who worked with NFL combine athletes and like preparing them for the combine. We have another coach who I don't want to say this incorrectly, but I believe that he was an Olympic trials swimmer in the 50 free. So like very powerful and explosive, but brings that wealth of knowledge from the swimming background. We have a couple of coaches who played soccer. I think I'm the only baseball person. We have a physical therapist. We have two nutrition coaches. Um, We're bringing on two more coaches who have backgrounds in one of them has a bachelor's in exercise science. And I think the other has a master's. So it's a diverse group of coaches and we all have something that we bring to the table Um, as our own bit of expertise. And that's kind of how we approach training our elite athletes. So we have athletes anywhere from at the elite level of the sport down to, I wouldn't say beginner, I would say proficient, proficient, but I don't know, like still new novice. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, I know that those are like a little bit conflicting, but like they're young in the sport, maybe only eight to 10 months, but they've shown a propensity for development in the sport. They've picked up all the skills. They already know how to do everything. It's rare that we coach athletes who don't do or don't have the skills. So basically the structure is I have one-on-one coaching clients and then we have an online program. So a one program to many, two tracks, competitive track and a wellness track. Um, and in each of those tracks, we have various paths. So if you are in the wellness path and you want to do um, more aesthetic driven programming, you can follow the bodybuilding path and then work with one of the nutrition coaches. If you are more into like doing CrossFit style training, you can follow our program. It's just our 60 minute program. So in and out the gym in 60 minutes that includes warm up and cool down. We have what we refer to as our engine path or our endurance path, which is all cyclical training. Um, so bike, run, 
swim, row, whatever kind of are the, those are the kind of the typical implements inside of the CrossFit space. And then our competitive path is broken down by capacity. So elite are intermediate and we have some who are, we're working on a program that's a little bit more uh, fundamentals based. Got it. So those are kind of the things we do have an education system that's tailored towards CrossFit coaches. So there might be some value in there for someone who is not in the CrossFit space. But like, if I'm being honest, I, I think that if you're not in the CrossFit space, you would probably benefit from getting your knowledge from someone who is looking through the lens of the sport that you want to coach. Um, nice. So, yeah. And then our elite athletes are coached by the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of. Got it. We, so it's a little convoluted, but it's a fun, it's a fun uh, environment that we have. Yes. I like it that it's very multifaceted with all these different professionals with different backgrounds, because that's really what it is to whenever you're talking about like improving someone's performance. And it sounds like all of these, even if you're on the wellness track, you have a specific goal in mind and you want to make sure that you're working and doing the things that kind of build you up to that goal and not, you know, deviate you from staying healthy or getting injured or all of those things. So I like that you have a lot of different professionals with a lot of different backgrounds helping, especially the elite athletes, but just adding to, like like you said, the training think tank, right? To bounce all of these ideas. Now, to be perfectly honest, you know, I I have worked with a lot of people that have, you know, suffered either some type of setback with CrossFit. And it's, to be perfectly clear, it's not, I'm not against CrossFit. I think CrossFit is an excellent tool. There's a lot of good concepts, but to be honest, like I have never done CrossFit by my, uh, myself. And a lot of my athletes, it might be like how you are training in baseball. Like it's like, okay, we're going to take some CrossFit workouts. We're going to incorporate it into what you do. One for either like just mental interest. Maybe you like to do these workouts. How can we make it work for you? How can we, usually my piece of the puzzle is, okay, you want to do CrossFit? Let's take what you're doing now and how can I make you more, I guess, ready or better suited to get benefit out of these workouts. That would be more my specialty. But from a CrossFit uh, perspective, let's talk a little bit about that. If you had anybody, I guess, who maybe like in my lens, were exposed to some of the real basic, basic concepts, like how you were in high school, maybe. But if you were to explain to them what CrossFit is, who it's suited for, I guess, I know that's something you want to talk about. What would kind of your spiel be to get someone that's exposed, but not in CrossFit? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing is delineating the sport of CrossFit from the wellness-based program of CrossFit. So the sport creates a lot of interest in CrossFit because let's be honest, like the bodies are unbelievable on they're doing crazy things. I mean, you're talking about people who are walking on their hands a hundred yards and then turning around and running low five minute miles and then squatting 500 pounds. Like that's remarkable to have all of those skills wrapped up in one person. So it's intriguing, right? But then when we look at our program for fitness and just doing this for life, the basic premise is 
you learn your technique first. Once you are sound in your fundamentals, then you start to introduce intensity. CrossFit has a recommended diet. I don't know that I would necessarily agree with it, but it is effective for a lot of people. But that's basically the concept is make sure you move well, then start to bring in and every movement is they use the term infinitely scalable. Obviously that like limits exist, right? You can only scale an air squat or a body weight squat so much, but there's ways to do things safely for almost every person. I'm not going to say every person because there are always circumstances that don't allow that. But yeah, I've worked with people who are significantly deconditioned and you just have to be, you have to handle them a little bit more with kid gloves. I mean, the reality is, is like if you're in the summer and where my group coaching was, was in new Orleans and it's a heat index of 115 degrees, you can't people to go as hard as they can for 20 minutes. So yeah, figure out how to manipulate the workouts for each person is really challenging inside of a group class, but in a good CrossFit gym, that's what you're going to find. That said, like if you don't enjoy that intense burning feeling and like the feeling like you just got punched in the gut, CrossFit's not for you. Like there's plenty to be healthy and strong and never experience that sort of discomfort. So yeah, I mean, I think for the right person, it makes a ton of sense. It's very engaging. And because the routines are always different you know you you get to experience a lot of different things uh the problem with that is like the skill acquisition curve gets a little bit elongated so maybe you're doing more elementary work for a longer period of time than you might like to Mm -hmm. but yeah that's kind of where crossfit is in my mind yes i like how you that was a great explanation i like how you said it too because There's more than one way to not every style of workout or philosophy is going to fit everyone, but you still can take some concepts and apply it to whatever else you're trying to achieve fitness wise. Now, since you kind of mentioned it, you know, it's not for everyone. Obviously, it's going to be as you get more versed into moving well, moving properly, you can ramp up the intensity, right? It's good to target both strength and endurance at the same time. It's good to get a quick high intensity workout without spending hours and hours in the gym right so talk a little bit about i think a lot of people that really stick with crossfit they enjoy the culture of it and you kind of mentioned you know going back to like the culture of your high school team right it seems like this is the perfect fit for you to continue after college right that cultural aspect of not only the type of workouts, but the intensity of the people doing the workouts, kind of the whole environment. And I think that's what CrossFit has done really well is they branded this type of culture, right? So explain a little bit about that. What is the CrossFit culture, either that, you know, in your perspective or at Training Think Tank too, what can you share about that? Yeah. So one of the things that's very interesting with CrossFit is people think about it as just like this global entity. And the reality is that CrossFit at the gym that I'm sitting in right now looks very different than CrossFit at the gym that's two miles away from here, which looks way different than the CrossFit that's 
right around the corner from you. The culture is typically a top-down thing, like in any organization. So a lot of it kind of falls on the gym owner or the gym manager or whoever's around the most to that, that culture. Generally speaking, though, it's a group of very hardworking people who are generally very supportive um, with other athletes. Obviously, you get into the competitive nature, but even with that, it's that we're pushing each other because if you and I line up to do the same workout, I'm not playing defense against you. Like we're, we're just racing. So there's nothing like from the competitive standpoint that I'm necessarily doing to undermine you. So it's, it's kind of like uh, the rising tide uh, philosophy, right? So that's generally what most CrossFit gyms look like. Now, the amount of hands-on coaching that you get from the gym is vastly different. Like CrossFit NOLA, where I was in New Orleans, is very, very hands-on. If you don't get a cue from the coach in a session, it is very rare. And it's similar with this gym here. So uh, Training Think Tank subleases space from um, CrossFit United. And CrossFit United has a great group of coaches that are very attentive I have dropped into gyms that basically they start the clock, turn on the music, and then you're on your own. If that ever happens and you drop into a gym, leave. Like, not not good. As far as training Think Tank, our culture is very fun-loving. Like, we have a great group of people. I think a lot of the tone is set by actually the guy who owns the CrossFit gym is one of the best CrossFitters in the world. And... He does such an amazing job of making everyone feel welcomed. And when you get that from one of the top 10 athletes in the world, like that's huge Mm -hmm. from a culture standpoint, Mm -hmm. like just how easy it is to generally like assimilate in, you know, no one takes themselves too serious and we're largely very competition driven. So we do have athletes who are not, and they, they work out on site with our competitive athletes and the, they coexist very well. Like, it's not like it's, you know, middle school boys and girls sitting on opposite ends of the gym, like interacting with each other. So that's really cool. Yeah. So that's, we're, our, I guess our kind of, the thing we're known for in the sport is being tacticians and being like very technique oriented. So we do a lot of skill refinement work and we really think about what is the best way to approach this workout? How do we break the reps? How do we take rest breaks? Those kind of things. But the other thing is like, we also recognize like you can't outthink poor work capacity. Like you do still have to work. So yeah, I don't know if that really fully answers your question, but that's kind of the best I got for now. (laughs) No, that's great. I mean, I think there's a lot of gems in there and showing people that, Well, one, you need to be in a place where you're going to push yourself and you're going to have others that support you. I think that's an underlying theme with a lot of any fitness facility, I would say. Any type of movement facility, doesn't matter what you're striving for. And then the second thing is that it shows that you need to work hard, you need to show up, you need to put in the work. But as you start to do more of that, it's a very complex, like multifactorial thing to actually get you to improve. Like, I think that's where you guys do a good job as a staff, you know, talking about how you can actually help this person get more out of the workouts, things like that. And I think that's a common theme for all of the people that 
help a lot of people successfully at any level, right? Doesn't matter if you're like just doing it as a way to get more healthy and fit, or if you're trying to compete in CrossFit or compete at the professional level in your sport, I think that's when it's not so simple that as you get better and better, more proficient, it's not so simple. Like I can just keep showing up and just putting in the effort because at a certain time, there's going to be all of these other things that you're not factoring in that is going to start to bump you up even further as you get more proficient. I do want to touch on, I know there's, we're getting carried away with the time, but there's so many things that I want to talk about. So we'll go a little longer, but I do want to talk about off air, you kind of mentioned, and I like this lens from you because you've been exposed to various training methods. You mentioned to me that CrossFit is not for everyone. And you know that there's certain people that, and this is beyond like their interest level. Let's say they want to do it, but you know that they're training for some type of field or court sport. They're training. We'll talk a minute about how you train for marathons. You know that some of this is going to be counterproductive into what you actually want to achieve. So just briefly, just to give the listeners out there, maybe they're looking to complement their current training methods. This will just give them some idea, I guess, as to, okay, this is what I need to consider as I'm starting to look into CrossFit, high intensity training, whatever it is. So explain a little bit about who you think it is suited for, but also what kind of training do you think this does not really work too well with? The first thing that I would look at is the quality of the sport that you're trying to get into. So we can, let's just go across a spectrum Mm -hmm. for endurance athletes. CrossFit can be really, really good. Think about triathlon, like athletes, marathon runners, those types of people, because they don't tend to like doing those five to eight minute, really hard sessions. Mm -hmm. The problem comes in for those athletes where a lot of them have poor movement quality because they're only running, they're only biking. Hips aren't going through these long ranges of motions. Their ankles are super stiff because of all the mileage that they're putting on the ground. You know, so maybe their shoulders are a little bit tender from all the swimming that they're doing. So CrossFit to be chosen carefully for that athlete. So if we are going to use CrossFit for that athlete, we need to make sure that we're having an appropriate exercise selection. And at that point, I don't think that group classes are necessarily the best thing in the world, but for the athlete that does retain movement quality. um, And I think that obviously with your background, you're going to be able to give better indicators of what like movement quality markers would be than I can. Um, But for me, it's, can you still put both hands overhead with the elbows locked out and not need assistance getting into that? Can you do a squat like with your heels on the ground, keeping your knees tracking and not like have that like significant lumbar curve Mm -hmm. or uh, need to come into the toes, right? So if you do retain that, then CrossFit group classes would be an excellent addition to your program. Obviously that goes away once you get to the elite level, because once you become hyper-specialized, like you just have to stay in your specialty. The middle ground kind of athletes, you think about soccer players, uh, lacrosse players, rugby players, those are probably your best candidates for a lot of CrossFit stuff because they live in this world of easy, easy movement, hard, aggressive sprints. They need to be strong because they're getting hit or try, you know, people are trying to move them. 
and they need to be able to repeatedly do that, right? So that mimics or CrossFit mimics that demand probably more than any other sport. So I would say like those are good opportunities. We would still want to be very careful to only do CrossFit because rugby is not as rotational. Um, I'm not that familiar with it. So somebody out there might be listening and have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'll just say and but like I know lacrosse has a lot of throwing stuff and soccer is a lot of rotation. So you still need to take care of that and make sure that you're taking care of your joint health, your joints ability to rotate, the body's ability to dissociate the upper and lower half and those kind of things that you're not going to get as readily in CrossFit. So really good, especially early off season training for them. Um, I think as you get closer to the season, you would want to tone that down. And then as you get into that really high power end of the spectrum or just raw skill end of the spectrum, I don't know how much benefit it really has. So like a baseball player doing CrossFit, saying that as an athlete who did CrossFit for four or five years while playing ball, I don't really know how much benefit it really has, right? You think about so the average baseball play being about five seconds for a ball that's put in play. Right. So like you don't see too many triples when you hit a home run, no one's doing anything aggressive. Um, So most of our game is confined to outs, singles and doubles. Right. A double at most is going to take eight seconds. So why why would we train this energy system that we know blunts your ability to produce peak power and like the joint range of motion that you need to go through for baseball like we don't need to add any more stress into the shoulder right so all of the kipping movements need to leave the program i know eric cressy talks about not doing any pull-ups i'm not sure that i fully agree with that but you look at the group of athletes that he's coached and their credentials and it's really hard to argue with that so you know who am i to say no on that but yeah that's um that's a tough sport to like really get on board with CrossFit. And then I think football, I know there was a trend um, around some football teams doing it. I think it could have a lot of good use off season, but I think it needs to be very tailored, right? It needs to be heavier, more interval based, a little bit less like three, four stuff and a lot more like 30 seconds of work, 60 to 90 seconds of rest. Yes. Like trying to mimic systems demands. Um, and then the other thing that you have to be careful about with CrossFit is the tendency to get very lean doing that. And obviously, if you have an offensive lineman dropping 15 or 20 pounds in the offseason, that's a problem. Yes. So, yeah, I think used across many sports, but you just have to be very selective about um, the application. Yes. No, I like that explanation. And it's, you know, very thorough. I think obviously we this could be a whole nother multiple series that we talk about, you know, the concepts of CrossFit. But you mentioned it there a little bit. And that was going to be my question is because, you know, CrossFit is based around a lot of like different, I guess, products or advantages of metabolic conditioning, right? And you mentioned that a little earlier too. How much do you, let's say you do have a football player that comes in, how much do you change that the structure of the work rest time ratio for these type of individuals to kind of still make it fit and get, I guess, that benefit that they need, right? Is that something that you 
find yourself tailoring a lot or even when you were doing it as an athlete is that something that it's not really the crossfit philosophy but you know is that something that you have experimented with yeah so when i coach i guess i should say like all of our like coaching when i say like i'm a coach like i do individual one-on-one programs so like i am writing the program tailored specifically to the athlete now if i have multiple crossfitters who are in the same gym i might write some crossover sessions where they train together to push each other mm-hmm. but if i'm getting a field sport athlete it is going to be 100 tailored to what they need oh so i'm not necessarily like manipulating a class workout if i were to manipulate a class workout for a CrossFit athlete though, uh, or for a football athlete, let's say, I would definitely make things a lot more work rest based mm-hmm. and tell them to get all of their aerobic support work in a non-impact manner, right? Mm-hmm. So like, we still wanna have good heart strength, just like mm-hmm. the better aerobic system is, the better you're gonna recover between plays, the more you're able to reproduce your power, but we don't need to have our heart rate sitting at 170 for that. Like you can do that at 110 beats per minute and not have the conflicting adaptation signals happening. Yes. No, that's, that's great information. And I do want to dive into the last part of this will be, so you are still very active, right? Talk a little bit about your training right now, because I know you're, you're a marathon runner and competitive, right? I know that you do push yourself. You are trying to achieve certain goals in the marathon world. So talk a little bit about how did that interest start? What's your training like? And what are some of your future aspirations? Yeah, so it started, um, I was doing, so I guess when I finished my original CrossFit competitive career, it was like 20, after the 2015 season, um, I took two years away from competitive CrossFit to focus on coaching. Um, I was still doing CrossFit, not like trying to compete at a high level. And then I came here and the change in schedule, the flexibility that we have, and the fact that I lived three minutes from the gym kind of gave me the opportunity to start training and getting back into competitive shape. So I started that process and I injured my back a little bit. Um, but nothing that was too concerning. And I, you know, came back from that, started down the process. And then I was pulling a power clean. I don't know. I think it was like 80%. And I just heard like four pops and (laughs) like the bar just fell to the ground. And like, at that point, the only thing I could do without pain was bike and run. So we're in, we're based out of Atlanta. The world's largest 10 K is in Atlanta. And one of my friends from college who played baseball with me happens to run it every year. So he just asked me to run it with him. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just, just kind of do that. Um, So that was kind of, that was in 2019. And I just enjoyed the process of training Mm -hmm. for running my time at that point. I think it was like 50 minutes. So not amazing three years ago. And then I decided like, I'm going to try for a half marathon, just see how that goes. And then eventually came up with the goal after the, the half marathon running, I think I ran like a 136. I was like, I want to try and break three hours in the marathon. So I kind of trained for that um, and was able to do that this past January. Um, oh, congrats. Barely snuck in. 
Thank you. So, so yeah, so now my running coach and I, it's, it's an interesting, unique kind of relationship um, that we have. She was actually my girlfriend's college cross country coach, but there's a lot of like give and take. So we finished the marathon and I was like, there's a clear gap in my fitness between like a mile and 10 K. Like once I get beyond a 10 K, my 10 K time basically is my half marathon time. And then the half marathon and marathon gets a little bit more normalized. But I was like, we, if I can't be faster in these middle ground races, then I'm just artificially dampening my ability to be fast in a full marathon. Mm -hmm. So we kind of took a six, seven month block to work on that. We're kind of coming out of that right now, moving back towards some longer distance stuff. And the goal is going to be hopefully to get selected for Boston. Not super hopeful, if I'm being honest, but if I can't get into Boston, then I will run another marathon in April at some point around there and see how far I can continue to push that time down. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, no, that's awesome that you're working towards that. And you know, you're able to tolerate it. You said your back and your hip is relatively good when you're running. So it's something else that gets to one, you train towards enjoy that process, be a little fit. I do want to ask one more question since we didn't come back circle back to this, which is as a coach now, because thinking about all of your experiences, right, even going through the hard times uh, in the beginning of college, or even going back to high school, right? When you decided I'm not going to play soccer because I don't want to be, you know, in that environment where I'm not getting pushed, right? Or I'm not around the people that are striving for the same goal. Think about all of those things. And you as a coach now, even working with your marathon coach, how you said it's a two-way thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of back and forth going. For me, that's my philosophy when I'm working with a lot of my athletes and clients is that it's almost sometimes athletes are caught off guard. Like they're like, no, usually the coach just tells me what to do and I do it no matter what. But for me, especially with what I do with movement and getting you to perform better, if I do that, we could be going completely against all of the things that I want. So just real briefly explain how that kind of taught you or formulated your methods, philosophy as a coach. Like it's very, I get from you, it's a very two-way thing. You individualize things, you communicate with your clients, but talk about how valuable that is. Yeah, I think even this is very much like a nuanced thing. Mm -hmm. um, have athletes who don't want to think about any of it. Yes. They just want to be exactly what to do. But I check in with them all the time and I'm like, what do you feel like is improving at an acceptable rate? What is not improving at an acceptable rate? So I'm still getting their input. It's just not as directed as another athlete who's like, I want to attack these four thing like how do we get there so it's what we we use the phrase athlete centric so we try yeah. to cater every what the athlete wants and needs obviously as you get to a certain level inside of sports the coach needs to have a little bit more leeway to push back like i you know i have a couple of athletes who are at the bubble level of qualifying for semifinals which is the stage right before the stuff you see on tv and it's one of those things that if they have clear gaps in their fitness 
whether it's strength-based, gymnastics-based, cyclical-based, and they're saying, I just want to double down on my strengths, I have to, as a coach, kind of protect them from, like, losing out on all of those adaptations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's one of those where it's like, I hear what you're saying, but if you can't keep yourself within you know, the top 200 in the world in this workout, then it doesn't matter how good you are at these other five things. So it's, it's just an honest conversation. And I think that the more new someone is to the sport, the more we can give them leeway on what they want and the less competitive someone is, then I'm on board with whatever you want. I just want you to be honest at that point. Like I, I I'm trying to compete. I'm trying to compete. And then you're out, you know, crushing a case of beers on Friday and Saturday, you know? So like, just at that point, like, just be honest with me, tell me what you actually want. And then I think the coaching, the coach athlete relationship just flows a lot better at that point. Yes. I a hundred percent agree. I think it's about that open communication and being honest both ways. Cause it can't just be all from the athlete because now it's flipped, right? It's like the coach is not, adding his expertise or input, right? But I also know that the athletes, at least in my experience, the athletes that are really open and honest and they can trust you, right? It's a lot more open when you give them sometimes the hard pill to swallow or what they really need to focus on. And it goes both ways. I think, like you said, that athlete uh, coach relationship just kind of grows, right? If It's more of a two-way street. And yeah, that's something that I think for any coaches that listen to this or whatever, you know, everyone has their style, but I think at least in my experience, you know, I think you can speak to the same, the more that you are able to open up and relate to the athlete, the more that they get more benefit from your coaching. And also you get more benefit from them to tailor the coaching. Right. Yeah. Any, anything else? I know I kept you for a while and you have clients to get back to and all of this. I mean, thank you so much for taking the time. Is there any last words or what's your message that you want to pass on to? doesn't matter if they're doing CrossFit or not. Just any words for anybody that's looking to train, get healthier, whatever it is in life. Yeah, I think one of I, my biggest thing in training and life is find the things that bring you joy and do them unapologetically. Like if you don't, want to do really hard things don't you don't have to do that like there's a lot of societal pressure for people to conform in a certain way and like yeah look you have to do certain things from a legal standpoint like you can't you know go around just taking whatever you want from and not paying for it but within your own freedom of expression and, and fitness is one of those things do what, do what makes you happy. It's going to create more buy-in and there's nothing worse than feeling like you're dragging yourself into every single session. Like, Oh, here we go again. So yeah, I think that's my big thing is do the things that you want to do and do them with full intention. That is an excellent message and we'll end it there, but I know we could have talked about so many more different concepts, CrossFit, all of these types of things. But thank you so much again for taking the time, sharing your story, educating a lot of listeners, myself included, on some of the CrossFit things that philosophies and things that you're taking into consideration when you're training your athletes. So great conversations, great message. And thanks so much for joining me again, Ryan. Absolutely. Absolutely.